Hello, my name is James Shukney, and this is Telling Stories. Welcome back to our show on the Sheep Herders. We're moving into part two, and the, the Sheep Herders legend grows in North America, and they move out of their territory day roots and move on to national promotions. This was an incendiary time for tag team wrestling in the 1980s in North America. The purebred wrestlers of the Midnight Express and Rock and Roll Express were doing wonderful things, and you had to do something to stand out. And when it came to the sheep herders, it was violence all the way. Mixed into their North American schedules were a few trips to Japan working for a New Japan Pro Wrestling. The lack of gimmick matches before FMW everything was straight tags and singles, and a general culture shock prevented them from long stays, but would make forays for the annual tag team tournaments. Butch would go as a single, and was in fact the chosen wrestler for the Tiger Mask gimmick before Satoru Sayama took it to much higher level. Wrestling history would surely have changed immeasurably if Butch had tried to make it work, but America seemed to be their natural home. They would move to the other side of the country, to North Carolina. Jim Crockett Promotions was fast becoming the biggest territory in the NWA, and it needed to feed the beast, which meant new talent at regular intervals. Joe Scott, the man behind JCP's creative expansion, saw something in the Sheep Herders and liked them from the off. They would win the NWA Mid-Atlantic Tag Team titles within their first week, echoing a pattern that had followed them around since Calgary. Start, show off their work rate and psychology, and the bookers would reward them with titles almost immediately. They became the team that would invade the company, destroy the local favourites, and keep destroying them over a period of months until they were run out, or as in the case of the Pacific Northwest, turned face. If their face card was played out, they would move on. While in JCP, they began a feud with Buzz Sawyer and Matt Bourne, more widely known as Doink the Clown. Both young, hungry, and supremely fit, they had an equal penchant for violence to that of the sheep herders. Add in that the fierce competitive streak, and you had the makings of an epic battle. The pair of Bourne and Sawyer were natural hyper-athletes, and looking at their pictures from the Times had also monstrously enhanced physiques. The upshot of that was they did it put everything into a match, and while Butch and Luke tried to slow them down, it got everybody over. They would take the titles in June of 1980. Their next opponents would be Rocky Johnson, The Rock's father, and Dewey Robinson. They would relieve the sheepherd of the titles in December of the same year. They would then get a call from Carlos Colon. Having garnered national exposure from TBS coverage of JCP, World Wrestling Council out of Puerto Rico wanted their special brand of crazy. The home of the brawlers, for some time, offered big money for the pair to come down on an extended run. They handed in their notice to JCP, a costly move it would turn out, and head even further south. In the space of 15 years, they had gone from the most conservative wrestling environment possible in wrestling history into the unknown of what must have been the most violent companies that ever existed. Quite the turnaround in fortunes. They were a hit in Puerto Rico. As Butch put it, the more blood, the more they liked it, and the more they came back to see it. Their big run would be with Invaders 1 and 2, which was a tacit endorsement, the most popular tag team on the circuit. Pumping their New Zealand nationalism, they got over by being superior heels, or mixing in their roughneck style. As good as they were, the Invaders were a tough crew to work, partly because of their popularity and the ensuing crowd support was more physical than verbal, and because of their reputation for hard being hard to work with. A match in 1985 is a good example of what they had to go through in the territory. Wrestling in San Juan's huge baseball stadium, they were led to the ring by the New Zealand flag, a ring whose posts were ominously strung with barbed wire. The invaders were accompanied by massive Puerto Rican flags and the match began. Under tornado rolls, and with both teams shirtless. This wasn't a street fight, so the dirigeur thing was to wrestle in regular gear. It's going to be a skin-tearing experience for both teams. The ring layout also meant that we could get some things down and done in the ring. The match psychology of a barbed wire fight could hold anyone off going into the wire in the early stages. It should be about avoidance tactics, and the whip reversals and blocks were key to building the tension. 
The sheep herders carried on like men possessed, but it was Invader One who put Butch Miller into the barbs first, to the light of the crowd. On the other side of the ring, Luke Williamson managed to get the advantage of Invader Two, who found himself trapped with the ropes and the wire. A stiff kick pushed him back first into the wire first wire spot of the match. The camera closed in on the skin piercing incident as Ricky Sanchez tried out in sympathy on commentary. The wire sagged under his weight. Luke turned Invader's head into the wire and his mask started to tear. With two literally tied up in the wire, Butch and Luke turned their attention to Invader 1. Luke applying a deep grovet so that Butch could inflict more punishment on two. With mass being torn left and right, and more blood flowing into the Invader's lacerated foreheads, it was an example of getting the most heat they could out of a slow-moving style. They may not have been overly active, but they knew how to get heat. The pace picked up when the Invaders came back. Luke had been the next into the wire, followed by Butch, followed by Butch being forced into the bottom strand. All four would be bleeding at this point and fans threw trash into the ring. Miller and Williams sold for all they were worth, as the invaders took over. Luke was especially a gruesome sight, but he got his knees up after a splash attempt for the second rope. Tying Invader 1 into the Tree of Woe, they concentrated on Invader 2. Invader 1 freed himself, but Luke kicked out of his follow-up cross-body block. The crowd became more lively as the match reached its climax. The invaders won the North American Tag Team titles with an O'Connor roll of all things, leaving Butch and Luke to be pelted with trash in the ring. The Sheepherders weren't always lucky. Luke and Butch, after a high performance in Calgary, Puerto Rico and Charlotte, Butch decided to take a break for a while, heading home to see his family. Luke recruited Jonathan Boyd, formerly the Royal Kangaroos, to continue the team. They would make forays into the NWA Southwest and run up against the Fullers, the mainstays of the Alabama Territory, making a trip to Memphis, a territory that suited them down to the ground. They were met by resident heartthrob tag team, the Fabulous Ones, Steve Kern and Stan Lane. Lane would go on to national acclaim as Dennis Contra's replacement in the Midnight Express. Kern would be the Florida's mainstay main eventer, and eventually the god-awful Skinner in the early 90s WWF. He would also be a key element of FCW's development territory that would become NXT. The Fabs were a hirsute, good-looking, in a male stripper kind of way, tag team that had the endorsement of the original Fabulous Ones, Jackie Fargo. Originally planned to be pretty boy heels, the fact they got over with a young female audience gave a different attraction to the traditional Memphis booking, adding another layer to Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler's impressive star-making resume. The initial feud gave the sheep herders such a that Memphis essentially became their second home, popping back up when they had no work elsewhere. The Fabs were ideal opponents, big but classically trained so technically adept. They had a running styles clash with the Antipodean opponents. The Fabs knew their appeal, and their promo shots of the time represented their outlook. Top hats and black gear to capture the Chippendales look, the briefest of wrestling trunks, assless chaps and mirrored shades. Compared to the sheep herders' now standard ring attire of camo gear, a recently cut forehead and a grimace, they were chalk and cheese, and it was a hit at the box office. The Fabulous Ones would be credited with running the sheep herders out of the CWA, Memphis's company name, in 1982, in their violent long-running feud over the AWA Southern Tag Team titles. After that, it was back to Alabama, and a run with Southwest Championship Wrestling's World Tag Team titles. But in mid-1983, Boyd broke his leg, and Butch returned to the fold. They stayed in Alabama for a while this time, for another feud with the Fabulous Ones over the titles, before heading back to Puerto Rico, and more fun and violent games with the Invaders and Carlos Colon. When Boyd regained his fitness, he recruited Rip Morgan, Butch Miller's nephew, to form a new version of the Sheep Herders he picked up in the Memphis Territory, in yet another feud with the Fabulous Ones. This team would also set a precedent, starting a feud with the Fantastics, that were precursor to the Fantastics feud with the original Sheep Herders team in the UWF. When Luke and Butch had had their fill of Puerto Rican politics and felt like it was time to get moving, they headed on to the breakout Oklahoma Territory of Mid-South then making the quick turn into being a Universal Wrestling Federation. It's a great time to be there with a hot roster and the best show on TV, 
the best commentary team in the country, Jim Ross and Michael P.S. Hayes, foresighted episodic booking in all of pro wrestling. Bill Watts also loved them. Once again, they walked into a territory and won a pair of tag team belts, defeating the wildly popular Dr. Destiny Williams and Ted DiBiase on May 16, 1986. It would be the UWF, and they would come across a tag team that was their opposite in every way, and we've set a career-defining feud. And that is part two of the Sheep Herders, the Forgotten Tag Team. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. My name is James Trupany. You can find me at Sheriff Lonestar on Twitter. You can find the show at Trupany Show on Twitter. And you can also find us on Facebook and Patreon, the Trupany Show, where you can keep the Trupany Show free forever for everyone. Please go talk to our partners, powerslam.tv, and get a free month when you use the code MULLETWATCH. And listen to Sheriff Lonestar and the Deputies of Heartbreak, Bandcamp forward slash Sheriff Lone Star.